He's into it. Uh, so that, I want to be that, but I didn't dance when I was young, so I don't know if that's going to work for me. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We're uh, in a study of the book of Acts. We're not really going through the whole thing. We're just going through parts of it. And the part we're going through are we're emphasizing the truth that in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that same commission, command, injunction, I think is still on us. That we are to be taking the gospel from local to wherever. We're to be his witnesses. We're to be proclaiming the good news of the gospel around the world. And so we've been looking at how in the book of Acts the gospel has spread. Uh, And I'm hitting highlight passages this week and then next week will be our final uh, look at this. We'll look at the last chapter of the book of Acts. And a lot has happened between chapters 8 and chapter 16, where we're going to jump in today. And the teacher in me wants to go back and just cover the whole thing, every single chapter, everything that's taken place, but uh, I'll resist doing all of it, but I'm going to give you the highlights, because when we ended in chapter 8, Philip, the evangelist, had witnessed to the Ethiopian eunuch, who I believe is really the first Gentile to come to faith. Uh, though Cornelius gets most of the credit, but I think the Ethiopian eunuch is really the first one. It's just me. Then Peter uh, has a vision and witnesses to Cornelius, who then comes to faith. Uh, Paul is persecuting Saul at this time, persecuting the church, comes to miraculous faith, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, um, is just totally and completely transformed. He now becomes a proclaimer of the good news. I mean, we don't even think of the, mo- the person right now who is the most um, anti-church that you can think about on the planet. And if they got saved and then started proclaiming Jesus, that's the kind of transformation we have from Saul. Uh, that he is, it is that dramatic. It cannot be underestimated. How incredible. We know the end of the story, so we just kind of read over it. But, I mean, he's the number one hater. And uh, so much so he's going to pull in people from their homes and put them in prison and even death. And now he's a proclaimer of the good news. And things start to happen. He and Barnabas go on a missionary journey, the first one. They go out of uh, Antioch. They establish churches in Asia Minor. I don't know about you, some people, I, I can picture maps in my head. It's just the way I'm made. Um, some, some people can't. Uh, they don't even know where Montgomery is. Uh, they, don't, you know, they couldn't picture in their head how, you know, where Montgomery is. Um, so, uh, but Asia Minor is where Turkey is. It's kind of up and around the Mediterranean. I'll stop talking. Uh, it's, it's, it's there. And so they go establish churches in those places. A lot of Gentiles get saved. They come back, and now the major question that faces the church is, does someone have to become Jewish in order to become Christian? Because all these Gentiles are coming to the faith, so they hold this big council in Jerusalem. Paul is there. All the apostles are there. They all meet and decide that 
which is transformative, really, in the history of the church. This is a major milestone that someone doesn't have to become Jewish in order to become Christian. And that spurs the gospel forward. Now, Acts chapter 16. By the way, Paul and Barnabas have had a little split um, over John Mark, over Mark. So now there's going to be a second journey for Paul. He's going to go back to the churches that he first established. He wants to go revisit them. I mean, can you imagine? The gospel, it goes into a city um, like Troas. It goes into a city. He preaches the gospel, establishes a church, and then boom, he's out of there. He's gone. Just kind of establishes some leaders not there very long. They have a church. wonder how it's doing. Well, you can't call them. You can't check on them. You can't Zoom. You know, you got to go. And the going is tough to get there. I mean, it's a journey. It's a faith journey every time these guys launch out just to travel around. So they're going to go. Paul is going to take Silas with them. They're going to go back, check on the churches, and see how they're doing. And then they're trying to preach. And we're going to see that God changes the course again. He's, he's basically saying, you're not to the ends yet. You're not to the ends of the earth. You're still too close. So let's get going. Let's keep pushing it forward. Let's move it on out there. And in the process of doing this, we're going to see, and I think hopefully answer some questions like, what happens when the door is all shut? What happens, what happens when it looks like everything is closing down around me and I have no... I, I, where do I step? What happens when I do what you tell me to do, and instead of getting rewarded, I get punished? What happens when things go really, really south? What do I do? And I think in chapter 16, what we'll see are some truths that will help us kind of move forward and walk into sermon. I'm going to read a lot of scripture because I'm covering chapter 16, verse 16. I think, to about the end of the chapter. So we're going we're gonna to look at a lot of scripture. I'll summarize some stories, but hopefully through it, each of us can pick up some truths to walk in in life. Because none of us are here who haven't gone through some stuff, right? I mean, we've all had our times. Some of us more times than others. But we've all had times when doors shut, doors closed, either through our own sin, through the sin of others, through God's providence and sovereignty in our lives. Some of us are sitting here today and saying, what the heck am I doing? What is going on? I am, you know, you're just, you're not happy with where you are. Not because you're disobedient, but just because things are not working out like you thought they were going to work out. Well, just hang on because God is still good. Amen? God is still at work. God is still, he hasn't left you. He hasn't forgotten you. So, the first thing I would like to point out to us is this truth. We need, to, we need to listen to God. How are your ears, your spiritual heart, how, how is your listener, so to speak, in a spiritual sense? Uh, I, 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 I have to tell you the truth. Uh, I, I've been accused of not listening very well at times. Um, I wish I could say it was untrue, but it's not. Um, there's a lot that goes on in here. You know what I mean? And when, it, when I'm going, 
I'm kind of tuned out to things that are going on around me. It's a, another, just like I can see maps or math in my head. I know, please don't judge me. But at the same time, when I start focusing, it's hard for me to, hard for me to hear people or other things going on. And I have, to, I have to get in a position to listen. I have to make eye contact, so to speak, with the person talking to me. And I need to make eye contact with God on a consistent basis, so to you understand, so that I can so that I can hear. Here's the story. Acts Acts 16. I'm gonna oh I didn't mean to change it. Did I? Oh I'm good. <clears throat> Did, is there a slide before this? Oh good. Thank you. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So you get the picture already, right? They're already like, there's some preventing going on. We don't know what's preventing. The Bible never even says what prevented them from preaching the gospel. So he's going back to these churches, visiting them, wants to go preach some more, establish more churches, but something, someone is preventing. When they came, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus, in this case, would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's the picture. Paul has been traveling around. He comes to a place where uh, he's established a church in Lystra. He meets up with uh, Timothy and his family who is from there. He decides to take Timothy with him on this journey, he and Paul and Silas. Also, by the way, notice that the pronouns change from them to we in this passage. This is the big change in pronouns. The we means that Luke is also joining them uh, because the author is changing from them, a third person to a, whatever we is, second person, first person. He, 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 second person, thanks, Jonathan. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's bringing it in. Uh, to talk about us. And by the way, is this not one heck of a mission team? You got Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke now traveling together uh, to, to, to minister. I've been with some good mission teams, but this one is a kicker. Uh, it's, they're really, it's really good. And so he wants to go and keep preaching in Asia, in Turkey, that area. But God has closed the doors, and now he has this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come, preach here. Now, the difference between um, <clears throat> Turkey and Macedonia, Macedonia is just north of Greece. Uh, just picture in your head, just stop for a second. Yeah, it's right north of, Mace uh, right north of Greece. Uh, it's the difference between Asia and Europe. So the gospel is about to leave Asia and go to the continent of Europe. And Paul has this vision. What do you do when the doors all close around you? Well, you stop and you listen harder. You know, it's easy for us to get in this blame mode. Like, you know, you know, God just quit speaking. God's not doing this. God's not doing that. All the doors are closing around me. Hey, listen, that's the time you need to just 
shut her down and listen harder. Listen, just say, God, I'm, I speak, your servant is listening. Speak to me in dreams and in visions. Speak to me in ways that will... Now, you're not always going to get a dream vision from the Lord. God may speak to you through his word. God may speak to you through people around you. But if you're, if you're listening, God will, God will speak. Paul refused to back up. He says in 2 Corinthians, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. You ever been perplexed? I seem like I'm perplexed most of my life. Perplexion, <laughs> being perplexed will lead you to despair if you're not careful. But Paul is saying, I'm, I've been perplexed, but I'm not going to despair. I'm just going to listen harder. To his son, Timothy, who's on him, with him on this journey, he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Don't back up. Don't quit. Keep listening. Keep trusting God. Keep pursuing. What happens from here? Goes on in uh, verses 11 and following. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Semothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. So they've left Turkey. They've sailed across uh, the sea to the north. It's not a long journey, honestly. It's not that far I want a cruise ship, just that, that distance. It didn't take us any time at all. And that's a joke. Come on, I was on a cruise ship, but Paul's sailing was just a little more challenging to get from where we were, it was in Turkey, to just, uh, to just north of Greece. And they go to Philippi, Macedonia. Remember, um, historically, Alexander the Great is from Macedonia. His father was named Philip, thank you, somebody knew. Philip, hence the term Philippi. This is the church that Paul's going to establish that the church of Philippians, the, the book of Philippians is written to. So if in the reading of the rest of this passage, you'll keep the letter of Philippians in mind, there's a lot that kind of opens up uh, to the reading of that, to the reading of that letter. <clears throat> Where am I? We stayed several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. I'll try not to comment overly on all these passages, but it's really interesting. Whenever Paul would go into a city, he'd try and find a synagogue to go preach the word in a synagogue. But to have a synagogue, you had to have 10 families. You had to have 10 families in order to establish it, which means there were not 10 Jewish families in Philippi. If there weren't, then a lot of times they would go down to the river to pray so that people traveling through the city would know, oh, there's no synagogue here, but generally on the Sabbath, there would be people praying down by the river. That's kind of what he's saying. And they began to speak to some women who gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. 
the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Here's what I want to say as we're reading in this. Paul is listening every step of the way. Paul is listening. He, he hears God. He, he knows he's got kind of a plan, but in the plan, he's still flexible and listening. He goes down and he meets this, these ladies, one of whom is Lydia, a businesswoman who is a, a worshiper of God. I mean, she, she knows God, but she's not Jewish. And she's praying and he shares with her Jesus. And the Lord opens her heart. To receive. Um, there's a lot about how we get saved. There's a lot of doctrines out there about what goes on. But I, I, wanna, I want you to notice that it's not Paul who saves her. It's the Lord who opens her heart to the message that Paul gives that then saves her. Um, the people I've saved have done really bad. You know what I mean? The people that I've saved. But the people that the Lord saves, he transforms. He changes. We need to be praying, God, who are you drawing to your name? Right, stay with me just a second. Lord, who are you drawing to your name? Show me them. I want to listen to your voice about whose heart you've already opened so that when I share the gospel, they're ready to receive. So one of the reasons uh, we're not more fruitful in our evangelism is because we don't listen so good. There are probably people around you who are more open. And if you'll just say, God, show me today. Show me today someone who, whose heart you've already prepared to receive the seed of the word of God so that it would be incredibly, incredibly fruitful. When she... And the members of her household were baptized. She invited us to her home. She, she, gets, she comes to know the Lord. There's a river again. Baptism. She baptizes her. Baptizes her whole household. Uh, we had baptism this morning. We're going to have baptism again next week. Uh, again, if, you, um, if you're in town, please be here for baptism. If you haven't been water baptized, we'd love to either next week, the week after, the week after that, anytime. We'll do baptism. Next week, Matt Jackson will be here. He's going to be baptizing his children. He's going to be leading us in worship uh, for part of the service, he and Craig. So please, please be back. She's baptized, she and her whole household. It's an incredible transformation. We need to listen to God every step of the way. Listen to God for the big, listen to God in the little. By big, I mean there may be transformative moments where we move from Asia to Europe you know what I mean? We're moving from one place to another. Something big. But in the moment, we need to listen too because I think that's how the gospel is transferred. How the gospel goes into people's lives. Ask God, show me. Listen to him. And when it happens, uh, it, it, it's powerful. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul writes in Romans. Because why? It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. The gospel is going wholesale into the Gentile world right now. And in Europe, the first convert in Europe that we're aware of is Lydia, a woman, a businesswoman, a dealer in purple cloth. I think that speaks tons also about, because firsts are really important. And I think that Lydia being 
the first in Europe is, is key. All right, so we got to listen, and I'm going to move. The call to truth. Call to truth. I'm just going right to this passage. So they're preaching, and here's what happens. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Look up here just for a second. Notice a couple of things about this passage. It doesn't say she couldn't predict the future. She was making money by predicting the future, which means there's some demonic power in here that's at work through. I, I don't, you know, there's a lot of demonology about how the devil works and what he knows and doesn't know and... Um, but he's been around long enough. I think he can help predict the future pretty good for some people. And so he's in this girl. She's demonized, predicting the future. And it, it's, it says she had a spirit, a, a Pythian spirit, I think it says. A python spirit, almost a spirit of a snake on, on her. Notice what she does, though. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Is any of that untrue? None of it. I mean, really. They're following around and she's just following. She's yelling, these, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul becomes so troubled that he turns around and says to the spirit, not to the girl, to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit, the spirit left her. Here's what's troubling about this entire passage. Maybe not troubling, but really insightful that we need to hear. Truth is not always truth. You know, we, we think that wor words, in other words, she's not speaking a lie, but she's not speaking the truth. Why? Because the intent behind it is demonically oriented rather than godly inspired. It, this is not God speaking through her. To proclaim his word. This is Satan in some way trying to divide. Satan in some way trying to get into this, um, this little church that's just being established and destroy it like a snake when it's most vulnerable. This is not that we need to listen for truth. Not everybody, you, this may not be you, but I have gone to meetings, Christian meetings, where someone has spoken and they said nothing that would be leveled as untrue. But something inside of me said, this is wrong. This is not, this is not right. And I always feel so stinking judgmental when I do it. You know, like, well, they didn't say anything wrong. Maybe they're just not your style. Or maybe they're just, you're being you know, jealous of them, or maybe this or that. Listen, I, I think this passage points out to us that not everybody who's speaking truth is speaking truth. And we need, and this is scary, is it not? Because how do we judge truth? We, we judge truth objectively. 
Well, the statement is true, therefore it must be true. But there's more to truth than meets the eye or ear or even mind. We need the Spirit of God speaking to us. Notice also that Paul didn't immediately just say, first time. I mean, it was days this girl's going on. And finally, he's listening enough to God, listening to the truth, that when the moment comes, then he turns around, speaks to the Spirit, which I think is a key aspect of a deliverance, come out of her. And the, and the Spirit comes comes out of her. People, we need a call to truth, more so today than at any other time that I'm aware. We are inundated with information, but we are not inundated with truth. And we need to hear not just the words, but the intent, especially when it comes to spiritual, to spiritual matters. Um, you can chew on that for a while, because that's a tough one. That's a tough one for us to really kind of get our arms around. How do, I, how do I hear and receive truth? Third point is this. We need a call to worship. A call to worship. I mean, things are, this is great, isn't it? Lydia's being saved, demonized girls getting set free and saved. Um, things are going great. But whenever, whenever the gospel meets the economic status of the day and the economic status is adversely affected, things go Things go. I mean, you can touch people a lot of places, but you hit them in the pocketbook and things go south quick. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They're ticked. By the way, I'm not going to speak on human trafficking, but that, that is this in a different way. They're, they're trafficking this girl to make money, and when they realize they can't traffic her anymore, they're mad at the people who've set her free. They drag Paul and Silas before the authorities. It says, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. I'm going to preach on this all day, so just relax. I just love the, the, the insight into this. How do they appeal to the magistrates? They do it by racially dividing things. They're not from around here. They don't know our customs. They don't know, and they're causing problems. They make it a social, racial divide in order to accuse. I, I think it, it's the height of demonic to, to make that appeal, to divide instead of unite, especially when it comes to race and background, and we can go on with that for a long time. Uh, again, the crowd joined in the attack because that's what crowds do. By the way, it's, there's a whole deal on um, majority rule. I think you could kind of go from here about how that's not always godly inspired as well. Though we are, you know, we believe in that in democracy and godly, um, the, the majority rule. But really, the majority can be really, really wrong. Crowds don't go in good directions generally. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped 
and beaten. After they had been, and listen to this, they were severely flogged. This is not just stop it kind of thing. This is, the, this is kind of strip them on their backs and beat them. They were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. I mean, it's severe. And they're in jail. And, they, you know, they're doing God's work, right? Again, doors shut. They listen to God. God says, go to, to Macedonia. Man from Macedonia. I go to Macedonia if that, if that specific. They go to Macedonia. Philippi, woman gets saved. Girls get set free. Next thing you know, they're beaten and imprisoned. Now, again, I don't know about you, but I'd be sitting back saying, this is what I get when I listen to God. This is where I end up. I, I mean, I would have had a pity party. I don't know about you. I mean, you know, I have a flat tire, and I think the world's ending. You know, well, God, why did you give me this flat tire? You know, I'm in a hurry. I got places to be, people to talk to. I'm really important. Um, why, why the, you know, this, <laughs> they're now in prison. Things are really bad for them. What do they do? It's awesome. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I don't know that worship would have been my go-to right here. I mean, prayer, yeah, God, get me out of this. This is not right. You know, I was just listening to you when I came here. But instead, they're praying, worshiping, praising God. I think it's fascinating that Paul writes to the Philippian church, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. To the very church he's establishing, when he was at that place, he's beaten and put into prison, and yet he can write back to them and say, rejoice in the Lord always. This is not just some flippant phrase for Paul. He's lived this. He's lived rejoicing in the always. Not just the good times, not in the mediocre times, but the really bad times. What do you do when your finances go south? Worship God. What happens if you lose your job? Worship God. What happens if your health fails? I say worship God. What happens when you feel emotionally spent? Worship God. Rejoice in the Lord always. In case you didn't get it, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. There's a call to worship. I won't go through the story, but you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're called to worship an idol. They're called to worship a king. And they tell Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. Now, that, is that any way to talk to a king? Yeah, we're not even going to bother to defend you. We don't have to worship you. As a matter of fact, we can't worship you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He's able. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Wow, that is confidence right there. You throw us in that furnace. Our God is able to rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship you. We're not going to serve your gods. We're not going to worship your stuff. 
question facing many of us is, how are we doing in our worship? You know, if we're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, then we need to really determine what it is, who it is we're worshiping. Anything other than God that we're worshiping would be called an idol in the Old Testament kind of idolatry idea. If we're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, we need to be a 100% worshiping people. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm, what it was like back then, but the number of distractions for our worship right now in this day and age are overwhelming. I would encourage you to focus again on how God is calling you to, to worship. And listen, if, if we'll listen to God, if we'll walk in truth, if we'll worship God no matter what, then I contend we will see a harvest. It is the fruit of that kind of life. The harvest, the harvest comes because the plant is strong. The tree is strong. The tree is doing what it's supposed to do. It is bearing fruit. And bearing fruit, you can talk about bearing fruit a lot in the New Testament, but at its core, you get that? Uh, at its core, bearing fruit is evangelism. It is the harvest. When Jesus talks of the harvest, when he talks of bearing fruit, ultimately it, it, it's more ramifications than just that, but it really is that. Seeing people come to know Jesus. Could it be we're not seeing a harvest at the level we want because we're not listening to God who's saying, hey, get out of Asia and go to Europe? In other words, get off the couch, get out of your house. You know, prayer walks are good, but there's a time when you got to go meet some people. Go here. Go there. Don't just go to church. Go somewhere where there are people who don't know Jesus. Find a way to get down by the river in Philippi to talk to some people who don't know the Lord. Listen to the Lord. When bad times come, worship him. When things happen, Listen for the truth, walk in the truth, and there will be a harvest. And I'm going to, we're going to cook from here to the end. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake. They're in prison, right? They're worshiping, they're singing hymns, the other prisoners are listening. Suddenly there's a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. What a coincidence, huh? This earthquake, it was so good. It opened all the doors and everybody's chains just fell off. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he, he thought his prisoners had escaped. Now, this is not the job I really want either. The job that if I fail, death is the alternative. But that's the job he had. That's how serious being a jailer was. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself we're all here. All. Now, Paul and Silas are really the only saved, saved ones. I don't know who the other prisoners were there, but their singing must have been so good that the other prisoners didn't leave either. They're all there. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? A lot of comments again on this passage. 
If, would this be the first question? I mean, Jesus, again, when Jesus is moving on someone's heart, they connect something here with God. Right? They, they connect things. Miraculous things. This guy goes, I, he, maybe he heard him singing and praying, I don't know. I, probably he's close by. His house seems to be attached to the jail. And so he, he hears maybe, but his first question, what must I do to be saved? Sometimes the harvest is this easy. I mean, you've got to go through a lot to get there. But then there are times when someone just says, I, I, what do I do? Paul, he, he doesn't like go into this long sermon, at least from what we hear. He just says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then he spoke the word of God, the Lord, to them. We don't know what that is. I mean, how long that might have been. And to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his family were baptized. Where? In the middle of the night. Were they, I don't know. Maybe it was close to that river where Lydia just got baptized. But in the middle of the night, immediately they're all baptized. He and his whole household. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. We'll see a harvest, I think, if we do what God tells us to do, no matter how hard it gets. If we'll listen to God, if we'll walk in the truth, if we'll worship God in the good and the bad, then we'll have opportunities to present the, the Jesus we know and the Jesus we love to those who are around us. It, I, I was raised in this era of... Um, you go around and knock on doors. Somebody comes to the door and you just slam them upside the head with, if you were to die tonight, which I find an interesting question to start with, but if you were to die tonight and you're standing before God and he said, why should I let, me, let you into my heaven, what would you say? A lot of times what I got was, get the heck off my front porch. No, that, God's not going to let you in on that one. <laughs> you know I mean? that's, not, that's not the right answer. Why? Because it's just kind of a sporadic. I, I, to me, the harvest has to do with relationships and walking in the power, being where God has called you to be, going where he says to go, doing what he says to do in a way that people will then receive the gospel. Paul was ready, though. When the guy asked, what must I do to be saved? Paul, you say, well, that's, that's just Paul. No, that should be every single one of us. We should be ready to give an answer about how someone can come to know Jesus as the one who rules their life and forgives their sins. Paul, even though he was in prison, this is why in Philippians, also he can say, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He sees the gospel as the end. By the way, he's writing Philippians from another jail, Paul was in jail a lot, um, but uh, he's writing back to Philippians where he was also in jail. But he's saying, whatever happens to me, it, it serves to advance the good news of Jesus. 
think about this. Goes to Philippi, preaches the gospel. Who gets saved? A Gentile businesswoman. A demonized slave girl. And a Roman jailer. Those are the three mentions of the people that come to know the Lord in Philippi right off the bat. Paul, establish a church. And here are the people who are you, I'm going to use to do it. Here's the core group. Here's the inside group. A jailer, a slave girl, a businesswoman. And yet, when Paul writes back in Philippians, it is a love letter to a church. He loves this church. This church has a special place in his heart, not just because it was the first in Europe, but because of the relationships that he had. We have in our idea, our eyes, that, oh, if I'm going to establish your church, I need to go to the beautiful people. I need to, I need to get there. That's the, that's the church that's going to be enough money, enough people, enough places. One of the greatest churches in history started with these three and their families. And God used it to just transform a city. That's why Paul can say, I'm, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Paul didn't just say this stuff. He preached it. He believed it. He walked it out. And it's a reason he could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God for the salvation of whom? Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. We're off into Gentile t- territory here. I want to encourage you, church. I want to encourage us today to do this. Listen. Ask God to open the eyes of your heart so that you can know and that you can hear. Listen. Walk in truth. To walk in truth, again, we still need to be sensitive and listening. We need to be worshiping God no matter what. How's your worship life going? How's your listening life? How's your truth teller working? Because when we do those things, we're going to see a harvest. We're going to open our eyes and see that the fields are even, they're white. They're ready. For what? Laborers. To go in the harvest field. Who are those laborers? Yeah, it's the foreign missionaries. It's these people. No, no, no. It's us. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest field. And I would say, ask God to show you what field is yours. That you're called to harvest and we're called to harvest together. Lord, we thank you this morning that the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. It's going to the ends of the earth through people like us. That God, you're moving in us and through us to touch people's lives. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for the truth that you empowered him with. I thank you that he listened to you in a dream, God, and you called him. And he went and he walked in truth and he walked in power. He continued to worship. I thank you for the example that he he portrays for us. Who are all called and all have the exact same spirit living in us that Paul had living in him. Spirit of God, be released in our lives and in our midst today to see an incredible harvest in our city, in our homes, 
in our state, our nation, to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.